I want to start with uh, something called the Romans Road. And raise, raise your hand if you've heard of the Romans Road. It's a, it's a way of presenting the gospel that you stay in the book of Romans. And so I, I did a, a brief YouTube search uh, to get different versions of it. I chose, I, did, it was, I could have found a better one if I'd spent more time, but I found this one. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the, well, should I go ahead and say that? I'm not a fan of the Romans Road, so I'm showing this so that we can maybe uh, evaluate it. In a help, I mean, not that it's uh, not served a purpose, but I think there are better ways of reading Romans. Um, so, but I think this is a way that a lot of people read Romans, and it's a way a lot of people hear the gospel. And so, I would like to get your ideas on your evaluation. Just imagine if you're if this is the gospel that you hear, and it may be the gospel that that we kind of default to sometimes. So I just want to see how you feel about this, and I think it's going to lead us into uh, a good discussion of Romans chapter 2, but I think it's really going to set up our whole way of maybe reading Romans with new eyes. Uh, and uh, I think this is mostly used in maybe evangelical Baptist-type churches. I don't know. But um, it's, called the, it's usually called the Romans Road. This guy calls it the Roman Road. But um, somebody near the lights may want to flip them off here. And Which is it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, and I think that explains why there's a lot of road pictures in this video. <laughs> Two people in this world die every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year. Therefore, in the average human lifespan, 4 billion people will die. Since only 13% of the world's population are considered evangelical Christians, over 3.5 billion people will die in your lifetime without knowing where they will spend eternity. Death is inescapable. It is inevitable. It is a commonality that all life shares. We will all die. We are dying. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that we will all die because we have all sinned. There is no exception. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. And Romans 5.12 goes on to say, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Sin, and through it death, is a reality that everyone must face. But, Romans 6.23 does not leave us condemned to death. It continues to tell us that although the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. According to this, we can escape death, but not physically. No, our bodies will inevitably die, but we can be given spiritual life for eternity. How has Jesus given us this eternal life? Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's right. 
The creator of the universe loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you so you can spiritually escape death and live with him forever. So how do you receive this gift? Romans 10, 9 through 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and by the mouth one confesses and is saved. All you have to do to receive eternal life is confess your sins and believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But how do you know that you have really been saved? Romans 10, 13 tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is ask. So where do you go from here? Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now that you have received this gift of eternal life, continue to have faith in God, who has saved you. Listen to his word and hold your life around him. Live your life in such a way that glorifies God and prepares your heart for heaven. Don't die without knowing where you will spend eternity. Choose Christ. All right. Um, what are what are some of your thoughts about that? He was speeding while he said, "Don't say it." <laughs> he was speeding when he said don't sin doesn't mention bap- maybe this is why this is not a church of Christ uh, thing it left out baptism is mentioned in Romans chapter 6 seems like math seems like math yeah faith Hear the gospel, have faith, equals salvation. Yeah. He yeah. used the church cross version of that while I was a minister. You stick Romans 6 in there, you know. Romans Road plus baptism. Romans Road plus baptism, Romans 6. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so salvation is all about um, when you die. What happens when you die? Uh, yeah, Jesus died for you. All you have to do is believe, and then you get to be saved. Yeah. Very good. What else? Is it pretty accurate to how people think about the gospel? It's all from Romans. That's awesome. Um, you can stay in one book of the Bible and get it all. Um, I think a lot of things we forget about Romans is, you know, we're so stuck in baptism. And getting that out of the way sometimes getting people out of the way. Sanctification is the most important part of this whole idea of Romans and the gospel. And growing in Christ and working hard. I mean, that's just a easy 
Yeah. How do we live now? Yeah. Rob. Over 40 years ago, I spent a summer in Brunswick, Georgia, and that was that was actually what we used. Yeah. Uh, and the idea was that we may have one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I won't make you preach, but the idea was, hey, it's your one shot to see who's concise. Yeah. And we did work that. <laughs> so if you have one shot, then maybe this is what the gospel gets shrunken down to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree with the comments, but I will say if someone has lost a loved one, if there's if it may be the seed mm-hmm. that triggers something in them. Yeah. And I have to believe God can use it's not my approach. Right. But he can use that approach and it may hit somebody at the right time and go, Okay, well then Praise God. Yeah, I think we can all testify to God using things that later we learn and say, I don't know if that's the best way, but you know that that helped me at the time. And I hope God can use what we what you know what I say, because uh, that's not going to be perfect either. Um, one of the things, though, I think that um, it's just the way that we set up the gospel. Another thing that I think this leaves out is there's no. I mean, it's really just cherry-picking verses from Romans and totally pulling them out of context. Um, how does, how does uh, what God did with Israel fit into that story? How does it even factor in? And that's such a big part of what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. And in, in this, this presentation, it's not relevant at all. Um, and it's hard to know how to fit it in. Um, I'm, I'm going to borrow some from a book uh, that came out just last year from N.T. Wright. It's called How the Revolution Began and present a few of his ideas uh, just to kind of set this up. He, has, he says what we usually have in things like the Romans Road is this idea that the way God set up the world from the very beginning was under what he labels a works contract. So God created us and expects from us um, perfection and that we, we do enough to be perfect and we follow him perfectly. Uh, that was the expectation. None of us do that right. Adam and Eve didn't do it right. Um, so that results in death and separation from God. Uh, he tried with Israel, gave them an even stricter law, and they failed to keep that perfectly. And so he sent Jesus to live the perfect life. And through our faith in Jesus, then we become perfect. So it's still a works contract, even though it's ironic that we're saved by faith because Jesus did did it right, and then we're saved through through that. And he says that's not that's not the way a right way to set it up. It also makes your where you go when you die kind of the most important thing. Uh, have you done enough to be saved from hell? Um, well, if you have faith in Christ, that's all you need, and then you can do works out of your gratefulness for that. He suggests rather that way. God sets it up, a better way to think of it is 
God created us with a covenant of vocation. That is, God created us with a job to do in this world and things to do. And our goal is to worship God, give God glory, and also be God's priests, so to speak, representatives in this world. And so salvation is not just about when you die, it's about saving parts of your life now that need saved. Um, So the covenant of vocation, I think, is something that helps us with what Israel was expected to do uh, through the law. They were, it was helping them know how to take care of the poor, how to take care of each other, um, things along that line. And it's also what God calls us to. And so um, what Jesus does is he represents Israel and also all of humanity in Israel on the cross and uh, renews for us that covenant of vocation. Um, Do you want to add something here, Josh? Anything you want to add? you can see just that Wright does a really helpful job of pointing out this language throughout. So creation, we're image bearers, and that's that's connected with a calling to rule and benevolently care for creation. Uh, Israel is referred to as a, uh, a kingdom of priests, and so you see this sense that they're supposed to, to live out this vocation as well. So, so there's always been, kind of from the beginning and throughout the Old Testament, not this sense of how do we go to heaven when we die, but, but how do we partner with God to do his work that we were created to do. So that as you see the connection then with Israel and then into the church, you can kind of see more of this organic connection between our calling as humans made in the image of God, what Jesus does as the fully human one and reflecting that image, and then what we're called to do uh, as part of the church. Uh, So those are, yes, there's something to do with life after death or the restored creation, but, um, but if you look at what Israel's pointing to, as Paul says, the gospel is uh, pointing to the law and the prophets. Okay, so we're, we're kind of seeing this connection with vocation and calling, what it means to be human, um, that Jesus is a part of and the Gospels making sense of. And one of the things I think this points us to is where do works fit into salvation? <laughs> and um, as good Protestants, um, well, we're neither Protestant, Catholic, nor Jew, I forgot, but um, we're more in the Protestant stream. Um, you know, some of the presentations of the Romans, Romans Road says, you know, we try all these different things to be saved. Um, and one of the things that we try is doing good works. And we can't do enough good works to be saved. So it's almost like you get the impression of, ooh, good works. Yeah, that's, that's trying to save yourself. That's a bad thing to do good works. And then you look at Romans chapter 2. Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse... 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay everyone according, uh, the NIV says according to what they have done, but your translation may say according to their works. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. 
So every judgment scene in the Bible, uh, the final judgment, the question is, what did you do? The question is never, did you have faith in Jesus? It's always, what did you do? Now, I was raised in a kind of a works-oriented cult. No, not cult. <laughs> works-oriented church. There's a lot of guilt if you didn't do, you felt like if you didn't do enough, you weren't sure you are going to be saved. I don't know, have I done enough? I remember old people in the church would say, you know, close to their death, I'd say, oh, you know, looking forward to heaven. They're like, well, I hope I just, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. And so in reaction to that, um, and I think proper reaction to this, and this is where Harvey Floyd did a great job of salvation by grace through faith, not by works. Um, but when you read Paul in Romans, one of the things that, that we need to look for is he says we're saved by faith, not works, but it's usually, if not always, followed by works of law. We're saved by faith, not by works of law. And I think that of law would, should be in bold or capital letters. Because I don't think Paul is talking about you're not saved by doing good deeds. Um, but in a covenant of vocation, it's like a relationship where there are expectations to be in relationship with God. Just like there's expectations for any relationship you're in, you can't just then act however you want to act. Um, if works are required for salvation, the question that comes to my mind sometimes is, well, well, then how many works do I really need to do? I mean, how do I know if I've done enough works? And this reminds me of, uh, you know, we try to get our eight-year-old son to eat healthy. You know, eat all your hot dog before you get to the french fries. Um, I don't, I've never have grabbed a hot dog out of his hand, though. So. Uh, but... Um, so let's say we're having some chicken, which is the healthiest thing he will eat, certain types of chicken. And so he eats, you know, a few bites, and he pushes the rest around his plate to make it look like he's eating more, and he's like, uh, can I have dessert now? I'm like, well, you gotta eat more. Well, how much more? Uh, I'll say four more bites. And so he'll eat four more, I mean, it's just, but I feel like there's no amount, I mean, I'm not trying to legalistically say if you eat four more bites, then you're a good kid or whatever it's just I want you to be healthy how many bites of chicken do I have to eat to be healthy how many works do you have to do is kind of a, a misframed question it's like how many times do I have to wash the dishes for my wife to still love me well you just do it <laughs> yeah Steve uh, so you know I grew up west of Mississippi and we had Casey Mosier and I remember part of the reason I think we latched on the Romans as this anti-works I think we were so knew how broken the work system was we grew up in yeah. we saw this discussion of grace out there and we just latched and somebody said hey it's not works it's grace and we just latched onto that is that making sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. so I think that we didn't have a good healthy balance because we reacted 
to the kind of, what you said, cultish works driven yeah. faith we had. And so when it came, it was, it was like a, it, it was like a fresh air for me when I heard Casey and mm-hmm. say, it's not about how many words you do. And that's the first time I'd heard that in my life in college. I think yeah. we latched onto that and, and lost maybe some of the broader, is that making sense at all? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, when I first came back to teach at Lipscomb, I started teaching the same breath of fresh air that I learned, and it was fallen dead for students of a younger generation because they weren't raised with the same. Uh, their problem is more on the other side. I don't have to do anything, and uh, so I wanted to. I want to say I want to rehabilitate your view of good, that good works are a good thing. I used to think that Paul and James, the book of James was contradictory. But James isn't talking about, when he talks, of, and the NIV translates James now as not works, but uh, deeds as a way to maybe try to help us understand this. James says, you know, you say you have faith and you don't have works. Don't you know that you, you cannot be saved by faith alone? My dad used to preach sermons on this all the time. Say, the Bible uses faith alone one time. It says you're not saved by faith alone. Because that's one of the slogans of the Reformation. We're saved by faith alone. Uh, that's where we get that works cult in there. So. Um, but the true part of that is James isn't talking about works of law. He's talking about feeding the hungry. Uh, somebody comes to you and, asks, and you say, be warm and filled, and you don't do anything about it. What good is, what good is that kind of faith? Um, and so Paul's talking about a different kind of faith, but also a different kind of works. You would hope the Romans road would take you through Ephesus and read 2.10 in Ephesus. That kind of reconciles the two points of yeah. view because of your salvation. Because your salvation, you do works. And, you know, at the end of the day, our judgment, final judgment, is... Uh, it's the same thing in Matthew 25. What, what have you done? But it's not a situation where have I done enough. It's just a situation, am I living, faithfully living out what God has called me to do? It's more about faithfulness, not perfection. Yeah? Just a quick clarification. When Paul says works of the law, do you think he was referring to Mosaic law? I think he's always referring to the Mosaic Law, and I think he's usually, and we'll see this in chapter 2, he's referring to circumcision and food laws. So the, the boundary markers that kept Jews and Gentiles separate. And one of his big reasons for preaching faith in Jesus is so that Jews and Gentiles can be together in a church and sit at the same table and eat together. And that's a big, that's a big problem for him. And so salvation by faith isn't just about what happens when you die for Paul. It's about who can you eat with, who can you associate with. If we're all saved by faith, then we're all in the same, same playing field. And I think that's his problem with works of the law. So I don't think he means by works some abstract system of good deeds. He means the Mosaic law, especially circumcision and food laws. Yeah. If, um, I'm going to add two comments. One, Paul... At the beginning of Romans, like in the fourth verse and the very last, somewhere the last few verses of 16, talks about the obedience of faith. We talked about, so you have that combined notion of obedience and faith going together. Um, and the other thing, and this is maybe previewing where we're going to go, we're not denying saved by grace alone, 
Um, but the Christian confession is something, or, or the, the Christian belief that we're trying to, to put forward or that we're going to get to is that even those works that we might be justified by uh, are works that are enabled that, through the grace of God. So this isn't us pulling ourselves up by our own moral bootstraps, but, but God's Spirit comes along and helps us do those kinds of things. Uh, so it's still by His grace that we can live out these kind of works through which we're justified. So it's, we're not denying grace alone. We're just saying grace doesn't mean works aren't involved, uh, but they have this kind of harmonious relationship. So we'll, I don't know if you're getting there today, but we'll get there later yeah. as we go through Romans. So, so in case you guys are worried we're being heretical. <laughs> we may be being heretical. I haven't got it all figured out for sure. Um, I, di- I do like the idea, though, that what the thing about that Romans road is it it's almost, you know, how do you, even at the end it said, how do you know you're saved? Well, <coughs> Do you have faith? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Um, it's got to be more than just saying you have faith. It's got to be you got to. It's got to change your life now. In some ways, that's a harder message because that means we got to live our lives in ways that, in that covenant vocation, that give glory to God and that say this is the best way to live your life. That bumper sticker: Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. It's, it's almost like saying, we're just as bad as you are. We're terrible, and I'm going to flip you off in traffic. But I get forgiven because I have faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe the, you know, that word just, I don't know. We're, we're called to something more than just you know, trying to have faith and then having our lives be just like a life without faith. It has to change your, your life. Yeah. So I just read the book you were talking about. Yeah. The right book, and I, I have to tell you, it really impacted me, right? So in a big way, and it's, I'm glad you guys are taking this on. It is a tough subject to sort of say, mm-hmm. but we have so much built up, like, word uses and meanings, like works, contract, covenant of vocation. I mean, if you walked in the room with covenant of vocation, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Covenant of vocation. I just want to tell you, what, what I took away from the book, and I do encourage everybody should read it, it it's been around, because it's, it's not an easy read. It is not an easy read. But what he's sort of talking about, here, and this is what impacted me, was to think of ourselves, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we often don't think about going back to the Garden of Eden. That's a story we're not sometimes comfortable with. Is it an allegory? Is it real? Is it the, the, but really, whatever it is, going back to that story, Something got lost at the beginning. Something got lost. And what got lost, at least what the covenant of vocation is, what got lost is that we were made, unlike animals, unlike other things, we were made to reflect the glory and image of God. That's our vocation. That's our life. And for some reason, that thing just connected with me in a way I have never thought about before. And it changed literally everything about how I think about who I am in the world. Because under my old way of thinking, the works contract, which is not bad, I still want to do good works, but it was this, it was sort of, oh, this world is not my home, I'm just a man, <laughs> you know, someday I'm going to be an animal. Versus, I am an image bearer, I reflect God's glory. So now suddenly the kingdom of heaven coming onto earth meant something different to me. It's like, wait, I am a priest, I am an agent of the kingdom. I am God's image reflector now. And forever. But now. And it changed, I don't know, 
that may mean nothing to anybody in the room. I have no idea. But for me, like this way of thinking versus I'm doing these good things, even though Jesus did these good things, so now the price is paid, blah, blah. No. God restored what lo- what got lost yeah. in the garden, and I'm reflecting that image. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody, but that yeah. is what I got from the book. And I think it also helps a lot with some people have taken the Romans Road type approach and understood it wrongly, but this is more common than we might think, that somehow God, God's wrath, um, God is angry at me because of my sin and my unholiness, and Jesus died on the cross to deflect that wrath away from me. And it's almost like... Uh, you don't see God's love as much in the cross as you see God's anger in the cross. Um, and the covenant of vocation is better because it's, uh, Wright uses the example of, let's say somebody has made a beautiful violin that has a certain covenant of vocation to make beautiful music, and somebody says, hey, this will make a good tennis racket, and they're using it as a tennis racket. You're going to be angry. You're not, using, you're not using that the way it should be used. You're not angry because they're playing tennis. You're angry because they, they're misusing a gift that they've been given. Uh, and so we've got to work out throughout Romans how the cross is uh, God giving his son, not Jesus taking something that God really wanted to do to us. Um, God's behind the cross. Um, we do have to talk about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe Josh Graves will talk about that in the sermon on Psalm 22, but um, we got to talk about that. Yeah? I think I'm familiar on all the faith and works things, and I heard Randall Lowry, I think, talk about it first, was um, to first we're called to be, and then we're called to do. Yeah. But if you get it backwards, it's kind of pointless. That's right. Yeah, right here, and then we'll go here. Yeah. I think also, like, even the first four verses of chapter two, it kind of explains this. Um, if I read it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. We're going to get to that. You therefore have no excuse you to pass judgment on someone else, or at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you pass judgment on to do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet you. And yet do the same things. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you forward repentance? Yeah. Which repentance is an act of changing, yeah. moving from what you're Why can't God just say your sins are forgiven and just wipe them all away? Why do we need a cross? Why, do we, why does there need to be a death? Why does there need to be... You know, what, why can't he just say you're forgiven? And I think the reason is because the reason sin is wrong is because it, give, it makes your life worse. It's a bad life. So you don't want to just be forgiven so you can go to heaven when you die. You want to be, you want to be led to repentance, to start living the life as you were supposed to live it. Uh, so it, it starts making a lot more sense, I think, as you put it all together. Yeah.
that's not what our students So it's kind of an almost heretical view on the other side. What, how would you describe your students sitting there studying Romans now versus what you yeah, we're saved by faith, so it really doesn't matter what I do. I mean, they they wouldn't say that it doesn't matter, but they're they're definitely not motivated out of a sense of guilt. Doesn't seem to me. I think that they're definitely grace. Grace covers everything. Yeah. Let's just do what we want to do right now because grace is going to cover us. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not every student. I have a few right here that are great people. <laughs> so which is better, just to grow up without grace or to grow up that way? <laughs> to be determined. I mean, they're not done yet. So, you know, the fear is, I mean, there's a lot of value in rituals. Going to church a lot can be a valuable thing. But feeling guilty, not a valuable thing. So, yeah, which do you think is better? There you go. I think I think everybody needs to have a healthy fear of God. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, grace applies. Yeah. It's a balance we got to figure out. Uh, let's let's go through some of Romans chapter two now. I think it's going to help us some with that covenant vocation on there. Um. So we talked about the the judgment part. He says uh, storing up wrath against yourself. And the wrath is because it's at the end, it's, it's at the final judgment, and it's because we have, it's like the violin illustration. It's not wrath at you as a person. It's, it's more like when your parents said, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. <laughs> that, I hated that line, but that's, that's probably like, more like what this is like. <laughs> it's a type of anger, but it's different type. Yeah. Okay. Or as, like when I'm disciplining my kid, I'm disciplining them unto repentance, right. I guess you might say. But I feel like there's a judgment that is that justice must be served. Yeah. God requires it. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think the, the final judgment is because we all sense a need for justice to be done. Yeah. Is that not what you, did you say, is that what you said? Or? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. You, you helped me bring it out better. I, th- I appreciate your question. Okay, let's start at verse uh, 12 now and read through some of this. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing and even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges everyone's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So, um, these Gentiles who are doing, uh, who do not have the law by nature, but are doing the works of the law, I think are Christians. I think Paul's going to say this later in Romans, that uh, Gentiles who believe in Jesus, come to faith in Jesus, fulfill the purpose of the law. Love God, love your neighbor. And so these are not just random pagans, like we sometimes say, who are good. I think he's referring to uh, 
people who have the Spirit, have the law written on their hearts. And this is pulling some things out of the prophets that talk about one day there will be a new covenant. I will write, their spirit, I will write the law on their hearts. And that kind of language uh, fits with what Paul is saying here. So you can see in the, in the background of his mind is Jews and Gentiles being together on the same footing. So Jews can't say, because I got the law, I'm better, because um, some Gentiles are fulfilling the purpose of the law. Uh, on in verse 17. Now, if you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law... If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I think what he's saying is, Israel had a covenant with God where they were supposed to be a light to the nations. Um, And they failed in that covenant purpose, not as individuals, but as a nation. I think that makes sense of it. He knows that not every Jewish person who says you shouldn't commit adultery is committing adultery. But if you have that type of activity going on within the group that is called to be God's light, then that makes that breaks your covenant of vacation and your name, uh, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of that activity. Um, that weird thing about robbing temples, um, I think may have to do with some Jews. Now again, this is not every Jew or maybe not even most, but it happens sometimes, we know. If you don't think a God is really real, then the stuff that people are leaving in the temple is really nobody's and we can go get it. So occasionally there were some Jews who would steal things um, from the temple because they didn't think of those as being really gods, that type of thing. And again, it's not that everybody, every Jew did that, but enough did it to show that they were not being the light to the nations that they were supposed to have been. Then verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code in circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So Paul is reworking what it means to be the people of God. People of God is no longer just physical circumcision. It's spiritual, your heart being circumcised spiritually. Um, So Jews and Gentiles together in the same church giving praise to God. Does that make sense to you? I think the thing that used to, I didn't know what he meant was, who are these people who are doing the law just uh, by nature? Is this just people who are good people? And I think he's referring to Christian Gentiles who are keeping the law through the power of the Spirit. Anything you want to... 
Um, but if, with our bigger conversation, uh, circumcision is a sign of covenant. So it's not as though we go in the Old Testament where there was this kind of covenant relationship where there was expectation to the New Covenant where there's no expectation for humans. But circumcision of the flesh and circumcision of the heart both have this <coughs> idea that there's going to be a covenant. And part of the covenant has obligations both ways. God's covenanting with us and we covenant to be the kind of people who with our hearts keep this kind of kingdom um, keep the kingdom rules and practices of vocation. Yeah. Chapter 4 really eliminates this a lot more. That's the frustrating part about the beginning of Romans is he brings up these things that he's going to explain more fully later. So if you're confused, join the crowd. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we'll keep going on this next week. Thanks for your participation and presence today. You know, our, our old tradition of looking at how you're saved is a